morning again, living spring. <laughs> um, it's good to see a lot of you back. Um, and I'm particularly excited because some of you might not know, but this Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent. Um, and so some of you, oh, thank you, Gail is clapping. That's amazing. We could do a round of applause for Lent. Um, but some of you might be familiar with this church season and some of you might not be. But it's the 40 days leading up to Easter plus Sundays. And it's a really special time where we prepare for Jesus's death and resurrection. And ways that we often do this is through prayer and reflection, through service, and through fasting, which is what I'm going to be focusing on this morning. And so as we begin, why not start with some memes? Um, I, so, we'll, so I'm wondering if you guys have ever fasted anything in Lent and how it's gone for you. This one says, two days into Lent after giving up something really difficult to give up, I've made a huge mistake. Um, that's happened to me before when I've given up sugar. I just really wanted my favorite ice cream at Trader Joe's. Um, gave up Dr. Pepper for Lent, made it two hours. <laughs> um, you gotta celebrate the small wins. <laughs> and then giving up Facebook for Lent has allowed more time for my Pinterest addiction. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I found that too. When I give something up, it shows maybe in another way I might grab onto something. Um, and so that's why Lent can be powerful. All jokes aside, um, as I've celebrated Lent um, over the past couple of years, I've realized that it's actually a pretty amazing way for me to realize what things I've been clinging onto um, instead of God. And what I also appreciate about Lent, especially during this time in our world where things are chaotic, where there's violence, where there's fear, where there's oppression. Lent allows us to be honest about our humanity and about our limitations. In Lent, um, we're not at Easter yet, we're not at the celebration yet, so we're called to be honest about the way things are. We're called to repent, we're called to be honest about our sin and the sin and brokenness in the world. And when we do that, when we accept and tell the truth about our brokenness and sin, that's when we have room and space for God's healing and God's light to come in and to meet us exactly where we are. And our scripture for this morning is going to talk about a very different type of fasting than those memes. Um, and it's going to give us plenty of really concrete and practical ideas for how to celebrate Lent this year. And I also wanted to mention that we're in the final um, sermon of our Closer series. And so John has really been helping us figure out what are one after one little ways that we can become closer and closer to God. And so today as we close that series, I'm going to really be emphasizing that the more we become closer to God in this vertical direction, the more every single relationship around us to other people, to our family, to society, those horizontal relationships must transform as well. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about is cruciform worship, this cross-like worship um, where our relationship with God must transform our relationships with others. So before we dive into the scripture, I'm curious because um, I'm going to talk about a blind spot of my own. But if you've ever in your faith journey realized there was something that you were missing about Jesus, there was something you were missing in your faith. Um, a time where you discovered that maybe more than what you were taught growing up, more than what you discovered on your own, um, that there was something more to following God. 
So for me personally, I grew up in a church that really emphasized a personal relationship with God, which was amazing. That's where I learned and got my love for scripture, my love for prayer. And at that church, I learned how to praise God through worship. I studied the Bible. I learned to tell others about God. But deep down, I always wondered if there was something more, um, if this only personal relationship with me and God, if I was missing something. And so when I went to college, um, I majored in global development. And in every single class, day after day, I was learning about the trauma and the suffering of millions of people around the world, particularly women and children, and the crazy disparities between rich and poor. And I wondered if my Christian faith that I grew up with, that was all about me and God, if it had anything to say to those who were suffering, to those who were struggling. Um, and so one day in my freshman year theology class, um, we read the passage that I'm going to read for us that's going to center us this morning. And it's Isaiah 58. Um, and this passage, um, it urges us to worship God not only through fasting and through worship, but through concrete, tangible actions that change the lives of those around us. And so in that class, I read Isaiah 58, and I learned about powerful um, reconcilers. Um, this man, his name is John Perkins. And so I read a bunch of books by him um, that freshman year, and he came and visited. And his story is powerful. I'll put a list of books that I recommend at the end. Um, but he grew up um, in Mississippi in the South, um, and his parents were sharecroppers. And his um, brother was killed by the police in a racist incident, and he was beat up by the police um, multiple times. And instead of becoming bitter and hardened, um, he found Jesus, and he let the love of Jesus transform his heart, and it allowed him to embrace everyone, and he spent his entire life working for justice and for reconciliation. Um, so he taught me, too, about this cruciform worship between me and God and me and others. And then the next slide, this is a picture of the Liberian, or the woman in Liberia. Um, there's a documentary called Pray the Devil Back to Hell, which I really recommend. But these women, they were just common women, um, daughters, teachers, nurses, anyone um, who cared that the war would stop in their country. And so what they did is they would go to the office of the president or the presidential palace every day and they would just pray and they did a silent protest day after day after day and the war stopped. Um, and then she, um, Lima, what's her last, oh, Bowie, she ended up getting a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and again, it was this intersection of prayer and action, prayer and action. Um, so prophets like these women, like John Perkins, like the prophet Isaiah in the Bible, they help us understand God's perspective. They help us point back to God's truth, even when it's hard, even when it's messy, even when it's uncomfortable. And so we need these prophets, though they're not always fun, to pierce through our blind spots and to illuminate truth. So I invite us all, myself included, to be open to a prophetic word from God this morning. So please join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for our scripture passage. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of love, of mercy, of justice, and righteousness. Lord, would you show us what a true fast is this morning? Would you equip us and encourage us to offer you a fast, Lord, that you desire? So open our eyes, open our hearts to you. We pray this in your powerful name. 
Amen. So if you have a Bible on your phone um, or physical Bible, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 55 or 58, and we're going to be doing verses 1 through 12. And it is a pretty long section of scripture, but I'm not going to read, oh yeah, but I am going to read it all. But it's rich in vivid imagery, and it's this beautiful Hebrew poetry. And so if you're willing, I encourage you to just close your eyes and pretend like you're hearing it for the very first time. And be curious. See what God might highlight for you in the text. So Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. It's also on the screen if that helps you focus. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you would do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as you can see, God's word is powerful. And honestly, there's not much I can really add to that because um, it's such an incredible passage, such incredible poetry. 
Um, so we're just going to go through the passage and see what it can teach us, how we can be God's people during this Lent season, um, especially in the midst of everything going on in our world. So as we see in, or in verse 1, um, God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah, and he tells Isaiah, shout it out, proclaim the sin to the people. And he says to proclaim it as loud as a trumpet. And he encourages the prophet, don't hold back. And the sin that the prophet is supposed to be calling out, we realize pretty soon that the people don't even know that they're sinning. They don't even realize that they're doing anything wrong. They're oblivious to what God actually wants from them. And I honestly think, I think they have good intentions. I think they're, think they're on the right track. They're doing great. Um, they're asking God for his just decisions, and they desire to be near to God, to be close to God. The text even says that they delight to be near God. So this all sounds pretty normal and good, right? Um, they sound pretty holy, pretty churchy. How could God not be pleased with them? However, as we read further, we realize that their desire to be closer to God is actually kind of superficial and self-centered. There's some blindness there. It's all about them and what they can get from God. It's just that vertical relationship. And so they don't understand, why isn't God celebrating their amazing piety, their great worship music, their fasting, all of that? And they wonder why he isn't answering their prayers, why he isn't hearing them, why they're not getting special treatment. If I'm honest, the Israelites are super relatable. Um, it can be pretty easy for me to make worship self-centered, for me to want to worship and then get special favor from God. But God in this passage quickly sets them straight. Their vertical worship and acts of devotion are not cutting it. Worship and religious rituals that don't affect one's actions towards others are not doing what true worship is supposed to do. The Israelites cannot fast and have their hearts and lives filled with malice and injustice towards their fellow brothers and sisters. The text gives us concrete examples of how they're missing the mark. They're exploiting workers, they're quarreling, they're striking each other with wicked fists, and according to the message translation of this text, with actions like these, their prayers won't get off the ground. I was talking about the text with Valerie. Raise your hand, Valerie. Um, well, we were texting this week, and she connected verse 4, how they're like, God, why don't you hear us? What's going on? Um, to how when Jesus talks about unforgiveness and how our unforgiveness is related to Jesus' forgiveness of us. That somehow there's this physics in the kingdom of God where if we're holding on to unforgiveness, it's harder for us to receive God's forgiveness. And similarly, in this passage, if we're holding on um, and not sharing God's love, this current of love, then we're really missing out um, on what God could do in us and through us. And it seems that it's harder for God to hear us in those moments. So God continues to respond um, to the Israelites with a bunch of rhetorical questions. So in my reading of scripture, I found that when God starts asking everyone rhetorical questions, it's not a great sign. Um, so God asks them incredulously, you really think this is the fast that I desire? The message translation puts it like this. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? 
to put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like? If I was one of the people, I'd be like, yeah, definitely. Don't you like that? Um, but God, as God often does, breaks open the Israelites in our tiny conception of what fasting is and gives them this beautiful, holistic vision of the fasting and the shalom that he has in mind. God is not this self-centered God who just wants us to always, I mean, he loves our worship, but if it's not going to help the daughters and sons that God cares about so deeply, um, then it's kind of meaningless, God is saying in this passage. Prayers that are empty, rituals that are empty, without action, um, God's not looking for that. So the Israelites, God is saying, should not compartmentalize their faith and their worship from every other section of their life. They've got to match up their vertical relationship with God with their horizontal relationship with others. Brenda Salter McNeil, a theologian, calls this emphasis, if we're only focusing on ourselves and God, the stick gospel. So if we don't live out this horizontal part of the gospel, it's like we're hitting people with a big stick and we're just missing out on um, the glory and the bigness um, of the gospel. So even though their intentions seem very genuine to me and remind me of my intentions oftentimes, the Israelites we see have missed some of the point of what worship is supposed to be about from God's perspective. So Thomas Curry, he's a seminary professor, um, I liked this quote. He writes, the danger of worship concerned only with one's salvation is not its immorality or lack of authenticity, but its blindness. So again, I think the Israelites had great intentions. They wanted to be close to God. They wanted God near to them, but they were just missing something. They were blind to something. But God is gracious, and he didn't leave them in their blindness. Instead, he made it very clear exactly what he desired from them and exactly how to get his attention back, how to get his ear. So we'll see on the next slide, the true fast um, that he longs for includes loosing the chains of injustice, untying the cords of the yoke, setting the oppressed free, breaking every yoke, sharing your food with the hungry, providing the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, clothing them, and not turning away from your own flesh and blood. So I noticed that these are all practical and concrete actions on behalf of the marginalized that require something from us. They require something from God's people. And they change, um, John likes to use the phrase, the fabric of our relationships. So they change the fabric of our relationships to others. Elsewhere in the Bible, the prophet Micah shares a similar reminder with God's people. So the prophet Micah says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Again, this combination of prayer and rituals and action. So like me, in case we are tempted to rationalize these passages away, there are almost 2,000 verses in scripture that deal with poverty and injustice. Richard Stearns, the former um, president of World Vision, wrote a book called The Whole in Our Gospel. 
And so the title comes from an experiment that his friend did where he went through every book in the Bible and underlined any passage that talked about God's care for the poor, about poverty, about justice, about oppression. And then he cut every one of those verses out of the Bible to see what would happen. And those themes he found were so central to every part of the Bible that the resulting Bible was just in pieces. It was in shambles. It was barely held together. So the Israelites we see in our text for this morning were experiencing a hole in their worship and their fasting. Richard Stearns writes in his book this quote, We must move beyond an anemic view of our faith as something only personal and private, with no public dimension, and instead see it as the source of power that can change the world. So now it's up here. We must move beyond an anemic view of our faith as something only personal and private, and instead see it in a public dimension as the source of power that can change the world. So that's an incredible invitation and also an extremely daunting one. I am both excited and sometimes paralyzed by the true fast that God desires. How about you? How do God's expectations for the Israelites and for us throughout Scripture sit with you? Are you inspired? Are you afraid? Are you angry? Are you hopeful? What does this provoke in you? Thankfully, whatever we're feeling, wherever we're at, God does not leave the Israelites or us alone in this journey of true fasting. In the final section of our passage, God is inviting his people to come back to who they truly are. He reminds them that they have agency as God's people. What they do matters. What they do has a difference. Their identity as God's beloved children has the potential to change their community, to transform them from the inside out. And as they live out their beloved identities in their private lives, in their prayer life with God and in public, God promises to hear them, to heal them, and protect them. There's a tiny word we find in verses 8, 9, and 10, then, that is really good news for us. So God is saying as we live into this cruciform worship of loving God and loving our neighbors through justice, generosity, and compassion, God assures us that blessings and a new reality in God's kingdom with God's way of life will follow. So I'm going to read those then passages. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. That reminds me of the namesake of Living Spring, Living Spring. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. So from this passage, we see that as we pour ourselves out for others in true acts of worship, we don't have to fear the darkness of the world or being left alone. 
because God is with us and God sent his son Jesus to inaugurate a kingdom of light, of peace, of mercy, of justice. And this kingdom, like a mustard seed, is growing all around us. Sometimes it's imperceptible to us. But this kingdom is led by our King Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace and who promises to make all things new. In John, we see that Jesus is the light of the world and the darkness will not overcome him. So as we grow closer to Jesus this Lenten season, we can trust that his light that shines within us, that shone thousands of years ago, that continues to shine on, through the Holy Spirit, will propel us to shine our own lights in the darkness. So Lima Bowie, the incredible Nobel Peace Prize winner that I mentioned earlier, she ended a civil war in her country through prayer and presence. And this is a quote from her. She says, she's very humble. She says, I don't feel like I've done anything extraordinary but take my little light and shine it in the darkness. I don't feel like I've done anything extraordinary, but take my little light and shine it in the darkness. I also think of yesterday we had a memorial for Mark Weld, um, who is a precious member um, of our congregation, and there was story after story of everyone talking about how he had an authentic faith. He had a faith that transformed his actions. It transformed the way he was a husband, the way he was a parent, the way he worked um, at a bank. It transformed his whole life. And so we just heard powerful testimonies of how God, how a true worship of God transformed not only through his prayers at home, but also when he went out in the world. So like Mark and like these other saints um, that we've heard about, as we begin this Lenten season, I invite us to reflect on the ways that God has given us light, the individual unique ways that we can shine our light in the world. And as um, later I'm going to give us some time to reflect after communion, but as we reflect during communion, we can answer um, this question and just pray about it with God. God, what sort of fast will help me not only grow in my relationship with you, but grow in love and mercy and justice towards others? That's the question I want us to leave with um, this morning. And then I have a few, I like ideas, I'm an idea person. This is not homework, but these are just some ideas um, of ways to true fast. So I'm realizing it's very small print. Um, but right now, I'll read them aloud. We are praying for peace in Ukraine. Um, the bishops, they're the highest um, men and women in the Free Methodist Church, and they have a response fund, and the money goes directly to people in Ukraine. So I actually have a link for that, or you can go to the Free Methodist um, Church USA website and then look up the Bishop Crisis Response Fund. And again, that money um, goes to, I believe, faith leaders in Ukraine. Um, another idea is to give up Starbucks or coffee shops. That's for me. I don't know what's for you. Um, and instead of just, yeah, keeping the money and buying more stuff for myself, um, I could give the money to my favorite charity um, in order to be prepared to give to anyone who asks of you. You could keep socks and gift cards in your car um, to give to people without homes. 
Um, this is kind of selfish of me, but you could be a part of the outreach team at Living Spring. Um, we've got some exciting stuff coming up that we'll be updating you about in the coming months. Um, you could visit an elderly member in our community or your, um, the congregation, bring them flowers, listen to their wisdom, to their stories about life. Um, you could listen and learn from someone um, who's different than you, who might have a different experience. You might still disagree with them, but you could listen to their story and be open to what God might teach you. So those are just a few ideas. You guys are infinitely creative, so I know God, or God is infinitely creative, and we are too, but I know he will show you what it is that he wants you to do um, throughout Lent this year. So as I've said over and over, we can't have a full relationship with God without right relationship with others. So now is the time in our service um, where we get to take communion, and we get to remember that those who are hungry and thirsty, anyone is invited to this communion table, no matter where you're at, no matter if you've never had communion before. Um, and that as we take communion as the body of Christ, let's remember those around the world who are suffering, who are struggling, and let's be open to any blind spots that God might want to reveal to us, and let's see what true fast God is inviting us to um, this Lent. And so as the worship band um, returns, we are going to get ready for communion. And for those of you, it might be your first time at Living Spring. So what we're going to do is I'm going to do the words of institution, and then I'm going to open up the altar. So if you would like, you can come and pray and reflect here at the altar, and you can receive the elements. And um, so as we begin, I'm just going to open us in prayer, and then I'll lead us through the communion time. And again... Be asking God, God, what is the true fast you're inviting me to this Lent? So Jesus, we thank you, God, that you came to earth, Lord, um, that you died to bring life, to bring us life, God, to reconcile us to God so that we can be reconciled to others, Lord. So we just pray, Lord, that as your ambassadors, Lord, that we would be ministers of this reconciliation in our families, in our workplaces, and in the world. And God, would you show us, as we receive your body and your blood, would you show us how you want us to pour ourselves out for others, God? Um, so speak to us. Be near to us, God. We are calling out for you to be near to us. Show us what a true fast looks like in our own lives. Um, we are listening, God. And so now you can stand for the blessing. So this blessing comes from a poem from St. Teresa of Avila. So Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. You are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. So go in peace, living spring, living as Christ's body of love and compassion and justice. We love you guys and we'll see you next week.